All right, so we are in our March series that we're calling March Madness, and uh, the, the premise behind this series is that we are living out this life of faith, and by living it out biblically, what we'll see is that a lot of what we are called to do as Christians and how we are called to live can look like madness to the world, right? It looks like we're doing crazy stuff because living according to the Word of God is contrary to living according to society in so many ways. And this is a challenge, a struggle that we have as Christians every hour of every day, except maybe Sunday morning, right? When we're all together as a body of believers. But for the most part, we have this challenge of deciding if we're gonna try to live out this faith in a way that we kind of blend in and kind of make our faith fit into our life here in this world, or if we are going to be set apart and going to embrace the madness that the Word of God calls us to. And so uh, over these four weeks, we started last week, but over these four weeks, we're just gonna talk about different aspects of of the madness that it is of living out this life of faith that God calls us to. And uh, my text verse, uh, really for the month, we shared this last week, but I'm gonna probably be sharing it every week because it kind of encapsulates what we're talking about this month is out of 1 Corinthians 1. I'm gonna ask you to join me standing as we read God's word together. This is the Apostle Paul in his letter to the church in Corinth. He says, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of its power. Remember that, that phrase. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. That's a powerful verse. And uh, before, we, before we pray over this message, I just wanna pull out one quick thing out of this that says, for those who are perishing, it is foolishness. And listen, this tells us that there are those that are perishing. There are those that are dying apart from God, that will be separated from God for all of eternity. And that should matter to us. You know, I, I think about this quite a bit right now because of what's going on in Ukraine, and we're seeing people that are dying every day in Ukraine, and the sad reality is some of those people are perishing apart from God. And that should bother us, church. That should bother us. It should be a, a, a point of prayer for us that we would ask God to, to move in a powerful way that the gospel would advance during this difficult, difficult time. That we pray for those that, uh, that are in such a difficult situation. So let's, let's pray together as we pray, um, but let's lift up those people in the Ukraine as well today. The title of my message is The Weak Link. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we bless you today. We love you. We thank you, Lord. All glory and honor is yours in this place and in our lives, Lord God. Father, we pray today that you and you alone would be exalted, that you would be glorified in our midst. And Lord, we do think of those today that are, that are in such a difficult situation in, the, in Eastern Europe, God. We pray your blessing, we pray your covering, we pray your protection, especially for the brothers and sisters in Christ that are over there that are having church today in, in subway stations and in train stations and underground, Father, just wanting to come together to worship you. We are so blessed in what we have here today, but God, we think of them we ask, Lord, that you administer to them in a powerful way and that your gospel would spread like wildfire across that country, God, in the name of Jesus, that those that, that are, are in this situation, Lord, would not have to perish apart from you, God. We pray that you would pour out your spirit, bring spiritual awakening in that place in a way that, that would just blow all of us away, God, for your glory, Lord. We thank you. We bless you today. Speak to us through your word today. We know it is your word that transforms us, that changes us to make us more like you and we give you all the glory for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. God bless you, you can be seated. Thank the Lord. So the weak link, 
Have you ever been the uh, weak link on a team? Maybe a sports team? Maybe a uh, team at work or at school doing a project or something and you just kind of knew you weren't bringing as much to the table as you hoped and that the other people probably have more going on than you do? Uh, I remember specifically when I was 16 years old, my, my sport in high school was baseball, but my, the year I was 16, we didn't have a team because of uh, money issues in the school, I guess. And so I actually joined a men's softball team as a 16-year-old, and these guys were, you know, late 20s, early 30s. And, and uh, I, I think in hindsight, the only reason I was probably added on to the team was because my dad sponsored the team and bought all their jerseys. So uh, there's probably some backdoor deals going on, backroom deals, I should say. And because uh, I didn't play much, I just kind of, you know, my uniform was always really clean after the tournaments. And, uh, but I was definitely the weak link on that team playing as a 16-year-old little kid with all these, you know, big burly men hitting softballs around. And, and that's not fun being the weak link. In fact, none of us liked to be weak at all. None of us liked to have our weaknesses exposed. In fact, we will spend lots of time and energy and resources and money to hide our weaknesses, whether they are physical weaknesses or emotional weaknesses or whatever they are, we work hard to make sure people don't see them. That's kind of the way society works today, right? Like on social media, you never show your weaknesses on social media, you always show your strengths and you, you really make your strengths look better than they really are with all kinds of cool filters, right? And you, you know, you, go on a vacation, you don't have to go on vacation now, you just need a green screen with a nice cruise ship behind you, you know? We'll do whatever we gotta do to make everybody think that we got it going on. We don't show our weaknesses, but when we are in private, when we're alone, oftentimes we grieve about those weaknesses, right? We lament about those weaknesses. We think, oh, if I was just more like so-and-so, this person over here, they got so many giftings, they're so talented, they're so good-looking, they're so strong, they're so tall, they're so whatever. Right, And we can grieve about our weaknesses, wishing we were more like somebody else. Even in our relationship with the Lord, we can be that way. When we think, oh God, you know, this other person is so gifted. I mean, you might look up here on this stage some Sundays and see these people up here singing and hear them singing and thinking, wow, man, I wish I could have a voice like that. Or I wish I could play drums like that or the guitar or something, right? And just, we think about the things, the gifts we don't have, even in our relationship with the Lord. And it can be a challenge for us not to allow ourselves to go down that road where we are wishing we were something different. Well, can I tell you today, first of all, that God knows your weaknesses and he still loves you. God knows your weaknesses and not only does he love you, he desperately wants an intimate, close, personal relationship with you. And he knows your weaknesses even better than you do. And those same weaknesses that in the natural can be a hindrance at times in the spiritual, in your relationship with the Lord, he wants to use those to your advantage. He actually wants to make you better for it. He wants to be glorified in our weaknesses. You know, God is actually glorified more in our weaknesses than he is in our strength. Because oftentimes we take our strengths and we think of them as our own and we brag about it and it can stir up and, and produce pride in our life. But when we allow God to work in our weaknesses, that is a fertile, fertile ground for the power of God in our life. That's exactly what my text verse says, is that it is the, the message of the cross is the power of God. And the message of the cross is that we would not come with words of human wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of its power, is what that scripture says. So that's interesting. Think about this for a second. So what Paul's telling us here, and what, what God's telling us here 
through Paul is that we have the power to empty the cross of its power. Not diminish, not belittle, to literally empty the cross. And you think, well, how can we do that? God's all-powerful, right? He's the almighty. He's omnipotent. How can we have any say in the power of God? Well, it's very clear. Paul tells us. He says, if he would have come with human words of wisdom, human wisdom, it would have emptied the cross of its power. Now, he's talking about preaching here, obviously, but this is actually giving us a key to life because not all of us are preachers, right? So this is more than just about preaching. This is a key to our life in understanding that when we come in any situation in our life with our human wisdom and our own strength, that we can empty the cross of its power. We have the ability to do that. In fact, last week, if you were here, I mentioned uh, one of my points was the, uh, that, that, that God, the uh, man, I've totally lost the, the words of human wisdom. We talked about how God confines or confounds the wisdom of this world, right? He uses the, the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, right? And so you think, well, so does that mean it's bad for me to be wise? Of course not. In fact, our Bible is very, very clear that we are to pursue wisdom. In fact, the Bible says if it costs you all you have, go get it. The book of Proverbs is basically a dissertation about getting wisdom in life. So wisdom is a good thing as long as it is not what we lean on for our strength. There's a fine line there, and it's an intricate balance, and it's a constant tension that we'll have to deal with forever until we get to be with Jesus when it won't matter anymore. But having our own wisdom and having our own strength and understanding that even those things are things that are given to us by God and that even that is worthless without the power of God in my life. That's a powerful, powerful thing. And the reality is that you are the weak link, especially in your relationship with God. We have to understand that we are the weak link because it is our job to embrace it. It is our job to actually thank God for our weakness. He actually tells us we can thank him for being weak, and I'll share that in just a moment. But at the end of the day, there, basically, there is room for God in your life where you are empty, where you are not strong. I, I'm gonna brutally paraphrase the great preacher Charles Spurgeon, where he said that God does not need your strength because he has all of that. He has all the strength he needs. He doesn't need yours. What he needs is your weakness because he doesn't have any of that. And our weakness in God's hand is actually a tool that God can use for his glory and for our good. That's his plan for us, that we would embrace this weakness because our weakness is a greater weapon for God than our strength. Think about that. I'm gonna say it again. Our weakness is a greater weapon for God than our strength. That's madness, church. Where else is that true? It is not true anywhere else in all the world except in the Christian faith, according to the word of God. So let me give you this verse out of 2 Corinthians. This is kind of my text verse 2.0 here, because this is what I'm gonna be launching off of for the rest of this message today, but this kind of explains what I'm talking about. So Paul is going before God and he's saying, God, help me. He said, I have a thorn in my flesh. We're not exactly sure what it is. There's many, many different theories on what it is. The fact is it doesn't say exactly what it is, but we know that Paul doesn't want it. He asked God three times to take this thorn away. And here's what God says to him in 2 Corinthians 12, verse nine. He says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. 
Greatest understatement in the history of the world right there. His grace is sufficient. It's so sufficient, can't even put it into words. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Now, don't miss this next part, church. So that Christ's power may rest on me. I will boast in my weaknesses so that, my, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is madness. If you don't have this revelation and you read that, you think Paul's living in some bizarro world where up is down and left is right. Because there's no way. That doesn't make any sense. The only way that makes sense is if you understand the character of our God and what his plan is for us. And when we see ourselves in relation to him and knowing that he created us and that it's all his and, and we owe it all back to him, that's the only way you can really understand what Paul's saying here. That he would rejoice in his weakness. That he would brag about being weak. This is the only place that I can find in the Bible where we're encouraged to brag about ourselves. <laughs> it's only about in our weakness. That's some kind of weird backwards bragging, right? Bragging about how good we're not. But Paul says, I'm gonna rejoice in it because I know that it's in that that Christ's power is revealed in me. Some of you have never even thought about rejoicing in your weakness. It's so foreign, right? We don't sit around rejoicing. Like I said at the top here, we, we really typically will sit around and grieve about our weaknesses, wishing something in our life was different. That we just feel like if I was just a little bit stronger in this area, a little bit smarter, a little bit more gifted, I could get myself out of this area and we'll grieve about it. Paul says, no, 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 no. I'm gonna rejoice in it. Not, not like, woohoo, thank God I'm weak, but I'm gonna embrace it understanding that when I know my role, when I know where I really stand in this world in comparison to my God, that that is the, where there's this spiritual principle that God's power comes into my life. We can't explain it. You know, there are a lot of things about God we just can't explain. We don't understand exactly how and why he works the way he does in some ways. There's things we know, there's things that the word of God is very clear on, there's a lot of things that we cannot fully explain. PhDs can't explain it, theologians can't explain it, denominations can't explain it, that's why we have so many denominations because everybody thinks they know. The reality is we just have to trust and understand that God means what he says in his word, that his power is made perfect in our weakness. And I hope to clear it up for us a little bit as I move forward and move on today. This is not about becoming weaker. It's just about embracing what we already know to be true. And honestly, church, this is foundational because any one of you here or watching online, you, if you have had a relationship and, a, and a, you walked into a relationship with Jesus and you've stepped into salvation and you are redeemed, you are blood-bought, you are a Christian, you are somebody that knows that you were dead in your trespasses and now you are alive in Christ, you know that the foundation of salvation is completely this, that it's all about our weakness, that there's nothing we can do to make ourselves saved, right? You can't work hard enough, you can't be good enough, you can't memorize your whole Bible and be good enough. There's no level of holiness that we can reach on our own to say, okay, God, I'm saved now. I get to go to heaven because I was good enough. We all know that, that salvation comes by putting your faith in Jesus that he would forgive you for your weaknesses and your shortcomings. And so we understand that salvation is built on that and that we can't have it with our own strength, yet we still can tend to walk this life out feeling like I could probably 
figure out a lot of this faith walk on my own. I don't say that out loud, but that's kind of how we live. When in reality, the foundation is built on weakness and so is everything else in our life. If we wanna see the power of God come into our life to save our soul, it's based on weakness. If we wanna see the power of God come into our life to change our mind, to change our heart, to change our circumstances, it is built on our weakness so that the power of God can come in. God does not share his power with our power. He's not just gonna come side by side with you. He wants it all. He wants it all. And that's exactly what he asks of us. If you think that your weaknesses are a hindrance in your life, then you've missed the truth of God's word. Now, it can be a hindrance in the natural, right? If you're not a, you know, if you're not a guitar player, you probably couldn't come up on a stage and play a guitar and make people wanna stay in the room. But when it comes to your spiritual life and living out this life victoriously, your weaknesses are actually a strength in your life. And, either, and if you don't understand that, then you've allowed someone else to define what strength and weakness is for you, which is something we're all guilty of at times, that we all have to be reminded of consistently in life. We have to be reminded that as a Christian, we understand that every accomplishment in our life, every gifting in my life, every success that I have had in life, every blessing that I have had in life is 100% because of the goodness, the grace, and the mercy, and the love of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's it, there's nothing else, praise God. He is the one that gives us everything in life. Oh, that we could have this mentality that, you know, that, that he would be, in him we live and move and have our being, is what the Bible says, right? That, that the very air I breathe would be because of him. That I can't even take my next breath without him. I can't hold my eyes open so that I don't walk into things without his help, right? Even though we know we use our strength to, to breathe and open our eyes, but knowing that it's all from him. That's what this is about. It's not about being weak in such a way that we just lay down and say, well, God, you gotta do everything and wake me up when you need me but really that even in the things we do, we understand that it is all given to us from God. Everything in this life. And when we have that realization, when we have that reality and we walk in that in our life, we can see the power of God come in in ways that many people live their whole life never experiencing because they are not willing to be weak so he can be strong in us. We cannot be strong, the kind of strong God wants for us until we are weak. Paul says very clearly, it is so that Christ's power may rest on me. There's a prerequisite. You want Christ, every one of us in this room, even if you're not even a Christian today, you would love to have Christ's power rest on you because Christ's power is the power of the Holy Spirit in us. That is a powerful thing that can change your life, can change the world, and has changed the world. It's turned the world upside down. So we all want Christ's power resting on us. Well, Paul tells us very clearly how that happens. He says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me, period. We boast in our weaknesses. Now, does that mean I gotta go around like flaunting it and telling everybody how, how strong I'm not and just air my dirty laundry to everybody and tell them all my, my issues and all my problems? Of course not. This is an attitude that we have. This is a mind, this is a perspective that we have in life of understanding in our relationship with our God. And we have to know that those who want it the most, 
pray the most, fast the most, those are not the ones that necessarily receive the power of God in their life. It's the ones who understand their weakness and that they are the weak link. And God insists that we embrace that. It's not a recommendation. It's, an, it's, a, it's a command from him that we would embrace it in our life. And I think one of the reasons we struggle so much with understanding this is because we don't really understand all the time what the power of God looks like, what God's strength in our life looks like, right? I know as a guy, I always think about, you know, the strength of God. I think of like, you know, physical strength, you know, like really being able to just defeat all my enemies and conquer any situation in my life and, and uh, having the victories that, that God would want me to have. But the reality is when you look at the word of God, there's most of the people that God used were not what, I would, what we would consider the, the tough guys, right? I mean, I think about David, first of all, and David, yes, I know he was a great king and he, was, he conquered all of his enemies and he defeated many people in battle, but his beginning was one that when Samuel actually went to anoint him, his own dad was shocked. He said, well, that, that's gonna be the king? Because he had all these brothers and the dad was just sure it was one of them. No, it was actually David, the little shepherd boy, right? And yes, David had a lot of victories, but you know why he had victories? It wasn't because of his own strength. In fact, he was very clear to tell us in Psalm 121. He says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? Where does my strength come from, in other words? My help, my strength comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That is why God used David. He was not a huge, mighty man that we would think of in stature necessarily, but God used him because he understood that the strength he had was given to him from God. But people all through the Bible, you'll see, that just had glaring weaknesses and not really that perfect candidate for what you would think God would want to use, right? Moses had a speech impediment and wasn't a very good leader and didn't even want to do what God wanted him to do. Gideon was the least in his family. His family was the least in their, their clan, and their clan was the least in the tribe of Israel, right? The 12 apostles, they were nothing to be impressed by. They were young, uneducated men that God used. Tons of weaknesses glaring in all of them, right? Even Paul, this person who we get so much of our New Testament from that God used so mightily. And when I think about him preaching and sharing with the people and going around and, and sharing to the Gentiles, I, I just picture him behind a pulpit and him just like, you know, just being there like ready to break the pulpit with his arms because he's just preaching the word of God. He's under the power of God. Well, then you look in 2 Corinthians 10 and you see what people actually were saying about him. In verse 10, it says, they, they would say, Paul's letters are demanding and forceful, but in person he is weak and his speeches are worthless. That gives hope to every preacher out there. <laughs> There's nothing to say that he was this great eloquent speaker. In fact, in Acts he was preaching and some kid fell out of a window because he fell asleep out of boredom. Paul had to raise him from the dead. I mean, so when I see you guys sleeping, I'm like, well, Paul had the same problem. Right. Actually, he preached for a long time, though. He was going all into the night. I only do it for about 40 minutes. So if I can't keep you awake, it's probably an issue. But, but I'm just saying God doesn't use just super strong people in their own strength. We see this all throughout the word. I could have listed dozens and dozens of names of people if we had the time. And we think, oh, well, those are people in the Bible. They were just and God was able to use them because they were not strong in their own strength. The only tough guy that I really see in the Bible was Samson, and we know how he, what happened to him. His strength actually ended up being his downfall. Because see, our strength can build pride in our life, can cause us to feel like we are something, 
when really we need to realize without him we're nothing. And it all comes from him. So what does God's strength look like? I mean, we all know the obvious manifestations of God's strength in our life, right? Maybe it's, maybe it's physical healing. We've seen God do healings, whether it's miraculous on the spot or if it's through our body just healing itself the way God designed it to, you know, or uh, relationships where God has done, used his power to restore marriages or relationships or uh, financial situations where you've seen the power of God just come in and do miracles in situations where you just knew it was the power of God. Those are obvious and those are things we look for and those are things we love and we're thankful for, amen? I'm so excited when I see the, the manifestation of God's strength in the lives of believers. But there are other ways that he shows his strength in us too that I think we oftentimes we don't think about because we can get so tunnel visioned on what we think God's strength in a situation should look like. But the reality is the word shows us that there's other areas too and, and these, I'm gonna share three of them with you today and I think they are they can be more prevalent in our lives than some of the other miraculous, supernatural manifestations that we so long for. And so we miss out on the strength of God in our life because we don't recognize that this is actually the strength of God too. It's not just the, the things that make you go ooh and ah, but it's other things as well. So let me give you a few of these. It's, I'm calling them the madness of God's strength because it's stuff we wouldn't really always expect. And the first one is the strength to escape. He gives us the strength to escape sometimes. Did you know sometimes running away is a display of strength? Some of you are thinking, well, man, I've been strong my whole life. I didn't know it. Not always, not running away from every situation. We have to have discernment to know when it's the right time. But sometimes being able to escape is a display of the strength of God in our life. It can be a challenge for us, though, because especially for, depending on how you're wired, you wanna stay and fight. Sometimes God's saying it's actually the strong thing to do to run away. You know how much strength it's taken for Ukrainians to leave their home and run away? I mean, imagine that for a second. If, it, if what's happening there was happening here in Augusta and we just had to pick up and take what you could carry and bolt and go somewhere hoping they'll receive you, hoping you won't die of starvation or freeze to death or whatever might happen. But to leave your home, everything you've built, everything you've, you've worked for your whole life and just to leave it. That's an act of strength, to be able to escape in a situation like that. Jesus escaped. The Bible talks a couple of different times where the crowd was wanting to stone him because he, was, you know, he wasn't the feel-good preacher. He was preaching the truth. And so they wanted to stone him, and it says he literally escaped through the crowd. He just escaped. That was a display of strength. He wasn't being cowardly. He was being strong in that situation. David escaped from Saul multiple times. David could have killed Saul yet he escaped from him. Moses escaped to Midian for 40 years. Sometimes escaping is a display of strength. 1 Corinthians 13, or 10, verse 13. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful. Everybody say, God is faithful. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, he's talking specifically about fleeing temptation, the temptation to sin here, right? And sometimes strength is not staying there and just trying to muscle up through it, right? If you're a recovering alcoholic, it's not an act of strength to sit in a bar and try to not drink. It's an act of strength to stay far, far away from it, right? You have to be wise in situations. Sometimes it's a matter of avoiding the temptation. God will give us a way of escape even if it's a, a temptation of some overt temptation or if it's more covert. 
Where if it's more of an attitude, we will always, God will always give us an opportunity to escape from those things that can easily entangle us. You know, in Hebrews 12, it says to throw off those things that entangle us, the sin that so easily entangles, and run the race with perseverance. If we're throwing something off and we're running, chances are we're running the other way from those things. We're escaping from those things. God will give us a way of escape, and that is not always a bad thing. A lot of times it's a very, very good thing for us. And we need to see that as an act of God's strength in our life. You know, I think of forgiveness. Forgiveness is an escape. First of all, us being forgiven by God. We're escaping the wrath and the judgment of God because he has forgiven us. It's like we're, we're, we're jailbreaking, but the, the, the warden's letting us go, right? It's a way of escape, but it's also an escape for us when we extend forgiveness. We're escaping the bitterness, the resentment, the hatred, the anger, the so many things that can come with harboring unforgiveness in our life. We're escaping those things. Do you know that every single time without fail, when we struggle to forgive someone, the root of that is a lack of trust in God? Every time. Every time in my life where I have struggled to forgive someone is because I don't trust God in that situation. Because I, you know, I'm letting that person off the hook. They didn't ask me to forgive them. They, they don't even care what they did to me. I'm letting them off the hook. Where's the justice, God? We don't really trust him and we, we justify in our own mind why we can not forgive because we think we deserve it to, hold, to withhold from that person. But the reality is you're just hurting yourself. So when we forgive and we release, we are actually escaping all of those things that can hold us. That's the, the temptation is to hold on. But God says, I will always give you a way of escape. Always in, the, in, in situations. Again, we need discernment to make sure that that's what God's wanting us to do, to escape situations. Because sometimes he does call us to stay. But escape can definitely be a way. Hallelujah. All right, the next one is the strength to wait. You know, it takes strength to wait well. I mean, anybody can wait, but waiting well actually takes strength. It can show strength or weakness. You know, there's not one of us under the sound of my voice that is not waiting for God for something. We're all waiting. We're always waiting. There's never a time where we're not waiting for God for something. And when he, when he does what he does in that situation where we're waiting, there's still 50 other things that we're waiting for. We'll never, ever in this life, we, I mean, the Bible tells us we should be expectant. Well, expecting is like looking forward. I'm expecting something there, so that means I'm waiting for it because it hasn't arrived yet. I don't have to expect for the things I already have. So if we're being expected, we're always waiting. And this is hands down one of the toughest aspects in life, to do well. But you know, God gives us strength to wait well. And we are called to wait well. It's, it makes all the difference in the world. You might think, ah, oh, what does it matter if I wait well or if I just wait frustratedly? because you are affecting your own life, you're affecting the lives of those around you, which means you're impacting the kingdom of God negatively. And it is our responsibility as followers of Jesus to make an impact for good for the kingdom. God's put people in your life for you to impact their lives in a good way, not a negative way. But waiting well is tough, even superficially, right? Waiting well can be hard. I mean, it's, it can be hard to wait well behind that person that's hesitating when the light turned green. Right? 
or to find out you have to wait for an hour to be seated at your restaurant when you're really hungry. It can be difficult to wait well even in that way, but even, but even more so when we're waiting for God, when we're waiting for God to do something in a situation in our life. Because, and, and one of the reasons it can be so hard to wait for God is because we're not sure if what we're waiting for is actually what he's going to do. Sometimes we're waiting for something and God's got a different idea and we don't always know. He doesn't always show us what he's going to do. So that can make it difficult to wait well because, well, I know what I want to happen here, but I don't know if God's gonna actually do what, he's, what I want him to do here. Well, let me tell you what waiting well is in the midst of that. Waiting well is this is what I want to happen, but God, it's all you. you it's all you, God. You're sovereign, I trust you. No matter what happens, I know that it's gonna be for my good and for your glory, period. That's what waiting well looks like. Amen, praise God. Strength in waiting isn't necessarily about knowing that he's gonna do what we want him to do, but being able to trust him no matter what. Isaiah 40, verse 29. Most of you know this verse. It's a beautiful, powerful verse in scripture. It says, he gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. He strengthens the powerless. It's good. Even youths will faint and be weary and the young will fall exhausted, but those who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. So we wait well and we get strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. He renews our strength when we wait well. That word wait there, it's not just, it's not this kind of waiting. You know, tapping your foot, looking at your watch. That's not what that word wait means. That wait, wait is a hopeful, it's an, it's an action, it's a trusting, it's an active waiting. That I'm waiting on God and I'm trusting him in the midst of whatever I'm waiting for. And when we do that, it says very clearly, he renews our strength. Church, this is such a simple principle, but it is so hard to get through our heads. It is so hard because it just doesn't make sense. But I'm telling you, it works. And it is the power of God in us that he, as we wait trustingly and saying, yes, God, I have a hope for this. But God, I'm not gonna limit you to this. I'm not only gonna be happy if it happens in this little circle. I'm gonna trust you if it happens way out here in such a way that I wouldn't want. I'm gonna trust you no matter what. And it's like, there is the power of God coming in to help us to wait well, to give us the strength to not be anxious, to not worry, to not be fearful about whatever it is that we're dealing with. It's saying, God, it's like all the pressure's off of us. It's like the weight's been lifted off. Like, it's not up to me to make sure it happens the way I want it to happen. I can, I'm gonna do what I do. I'm gonna do what God shows me to do. I'm gonna make sure I'm doing my due diligence. But at the end of the day, I'm trusting him in all of it and knowing that he is good and that he is trustworthy in my life. Amen. So how do I know if I'm waiting well? How do I know if I'm waiting, getting strength? Well, first of all, you will know because you will be resting while you wait. Rest is a beautiful thing, amen? There is nothing better than having, and I'm not talking about taking a Saturday, Sunday afternoon nap. That's a good thing too. But I'm talking about being able to rest in the storm, rest in the midst of the chaos, to be able to have a, hey, a confidence that I can trust my God and that I, I don't have to worry. It doesn't mean those things don't come at me. It doesn't mean even when I'm 
waiting well that worry's gonna come in, fear's gonna come in, anxiety's gonna come in, all the questions, all the doubt, all the stuff's gonna come in, but I'm not gonna let it take residence when it comes in. The goal as a Christian is to get to that place where your default, when that fear or that doubt or whatever it is starts hitting you and pelting you on the side of the head, that our default would be, nope, 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 you can't stay there. It, it, might, it might come and hit me and it might, it might make a dent, but it's not gonna stick around. I can choose whether or not I'm going to allow those things to reside in me. Somebody said one time, you know, you can't help it if birds are flying around your head, but you don't have to let them build a nest in your hat. We don't have to do that. So when that, when that fear comes, and I can tell you, I'm getting, as I grow in my relationship with Jesus, I get more and more to where when that fear, doubt, all those other feelings hit, it may hit me, and I might sit there and, and you know, grieve or feel sorry for myself for 30 minutes, but it doesn't take me long where I go, wait, hold on. Oh, that's right, I forgot. Man, my Bible, let me see what it says in there, you know? And I start clinging to the word of God. I start clinging to his character. I start trusting in him. And all of a sudden, that fear, that doubt, that anxiety, it just starts to dissipate. That's the power of God coming in to give you what you can't do on your own. Because you're not trusting in yourself, you're trusting in him. And it's a beautiful thing. But it doesn't just happen automatically. It doesn't just happen because you came to church on Sunday and now it's, woohoo, okay, it's gonna be like that. We have to be intentional. But as we grow in our faith, it should get more and more to where those thoughts, those feelings don't get to reside. They don't get to rule the day. They might get an hour, but they're not getting the day. Or they might get a day, but they're not getting the week. Okay? We have to be intentional to understand and to make sure that we are learning what it looks like to rest while we wait. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He tells us right there where we find rest. Come to me, not me, him. Come to him. And that's not coming to him and tipping your hat and saying, giving him a fist bump and walking off. Come to me, he means everything. Like, leave whatever that is and come to me and give your life to me. Trust me, put all you are inside me, and I will give you rest. We need rest. We are in a blessed society, but we are in a fast-paced, anxiety-driven society. We can have rest in the midst of that. I can't necessarily promise you I can slow down your pace of life, but I can promise you that God can give you rest while you wait. And that is an act of strength in your life that he wants to do. All right, third and finally, he gives us strength for contentment. And really, I contemplated this being a whole message because I have a lot more notes for this than the rest of it. But um, I'm gonna try to get through it here without keeping you till, till too late. But it's so important that we understand that the strength of God, the power of God, actually gives us contentment. It gives us peace. You know, the older I get, the more I put a high, high premium on peace in my life, on contentment in my life. Now. Don't take me wrong. I'm not saying I try to get rid of everything in my life that causes chaos. I have three kids. There's no, that's not even possible, okay? Not possible. So it's not about making sure there's nothing in my life that disturbs the peace and just everything being smooth and silky and glassy and my life's just easy. It's not, <laughs> that's a joke. That's a, that's a pipe dream if there ever was one. It is about finding peace in the midst of all the chaos because that's the only way to do it. It's Jesus asleep on a pillow when the ship's about to be swallowed up with water, right? The storm's there, 
doesn't necessarily make the storm go away every time, but to be able to rest in it and to have peace in it, that is the power. It can only be done by the power of God in our life. The peace that surpasses understanding. It, you can't make sense of it. You can't, you can't describe it. You can't talk somebody into having peace that surpasses understanding. You can't because it's a spiritual peace that comes from the Holy Spirit. That's the only way to get it. It's impossible. There's no one that's not a Christian that has ever had peace that surpasses understanding. Can't do it. Because the only way to get it is from our God. Philippians 4.13. Everybody knows this verse. It's a beautiful verse. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Right? Okay, but listen. This verse is taken out of context religiously all the time. What this so often, what we think of when we think of this verse is just God giving me strength. Like we're in a situation and I've done all I can do. God, give me strength, right? I can do all things through him because he's gonna strengthen me. And it's, it's just about him kind of coming alongside us and helping us, right? It's like, um, a lot of you probably remember Popeye the Sailor Man, remember the cartoon? I don't even know if it's on anymore. Some of the younger ones might not know it, but um, it was this cartoon, you know, Popeye was a sailor. He had these gigantic guns for arms. His forearms were like the size of big balloons, you know? And uh, he's pretty strong on his own, but inevitably in every episode, he would get himself in a position where he couldn't, his own strength couldn't get him through it. And he needed more strength than what he had on his own. And crazy, inevitably, every episode, a can of spinach would just miraculously appear when he needed it most, right? I guess back, you know, I guess some places, spinach is everywhere in cans. And so he would eat this spinach, he'd get real strong, and he'd save the day, right? He'd get himself out of whatever situation he's in, or he'd save olive oil, or do whatever he needed to do, right? And too often times we approach strength with God that way in our life. Like, oh, I'm doing everything I can do in my strength, but now I find myself in a situation I can't figure it out on my own, so I need a can of spiritual spinach to give me what I need to get through this time. That is not at all what the power of God is meant to be in our life. It's not to be your little can of spinach when you, that you use when you need it. Or, you know, I've done everything I can do, my big forearms got me this far, but they can only get me this far and I need to get this far, so now I need to take some spiritual spinach. That's not what this verse means. In fact, all you gotta do is back up one verse to see this in context, to see what Paul was saying here. Philippians four, verse 12, and then 13 again. He says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. So now what we see is this strength that Paul is talking about is a strength for contentment. It is a strength to have peace in life, whether well-fed or even if I'm hungry. He didn't say that God's strength is going to make him well-fed necessarily. He's saying, if I'm well-fed, if I'm hungry, if I'm living in plenty and I got all the money I know what to do with and I got so much I, can, I don't even have room for all of it or if I don't know how I'm gonna have enough money to buy dinner for tomorrow. Whatever side it's on, I've learned the secret of being content. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength to be content in any and every situation. That's what he's saying here. He's not our spiritual spinach, okay? He is our everything. He is the one that, yes, sometimes he fixes our situation. Sometimes he comes through and does exactly what we need him to do, and it's a miracle, and it's beautiful, and we rejoice, we testify, and it's awesome. But there are other times he doesn't do what we wanted him to do. He does something different because he's sovereign and his ways are higher. And our minds can't even conceive his ways sometimes. 
The key here is that his strength will make us content whether he does what we want or if he doesn't do what we want. That's what that strength is meant to be in our life, that we would not necessarily only be content if he eliminates the hunger or if he eliminates the want, but we're content when we are hungry and when we're in want. That's the strength of God for our life. He never, ever, ever promises us that everything in life is gonna be perfect because you're a Christian. In fact, he promises us the opposite. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. But oh, you can take heart because the God you love, the God you serve, the God you live for has overcome the world. So no matter what happens in this world, what can man do to me? Because we're gonna be with him one day. And that's what really, really matters. And we can trust him in this world too. It is so valuable because peace is the opposite of fear. It's one of the opposites of fear in life, right? Peace and fear do not coexist. Church, what, what we're seeing here is that to be content in any and every situation, sometimes the discontentment manifests in fear in our life, right? What I'm telling you today and what you see from the word of God here is that as a Christian, we do not have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. Fear is such an epidemic in our world and it's in the church just as much as it is outside of the church. We do not have to allow fear to have its way. We don't have to. We have the spirit of God living in us and if we will learn how to harness the power of God in our life, it can, if, if God moves in my life in such a way that the, the only manifestation of his actual power in my life is just that I don't have fear, that's enough. That's enough. Because fear will motivate you in so many ways that will take you off track in your faith and in your walk. And if we don't have fear, if we are content, man, the, the, the stuff we can do, the heart we can have, the lives we could change, if we would do that. And here's why we don't have to be afraid. Because of the promise in Psalm 23, four. David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. That's all you need to know. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's enough, church. And if you would say, well, that's not enough for me to know that he's with me, then you've missed it. If the only way for you to not fear is to know and have perfect security that whatever your situation is is gonna turn out the way you want it, then you're never gonna be without fear because it's not always going to be that way. We have to be willing to trust him and understand that he is with us in every situation. I, let me say this. I think there's an epidemic amongst us as, as Western Christians that when, we, when we're on the mountain, man, it's easy for us to say how big our God is, right? We rejoice in him, we adore him, we worship him, we talk about his might and his power and how wonderful he is and how he got us to this place on the mountain. But that same person gets down in the valley and suddenly God becomes small and even insignificant where we don't even consider him because now I'm in the valley, now I've gotta figure this out because God isn't doing what I want him to do. Can I tell you today, God's value in our life, his worthiness of our life does not differentiate or depend on our emotional geography. Whether we're on the emotional mountain or in the emotional valley, it makes no bearing on whether or not he is worthy of your life. If he is worthy of your trust, there's no difference. In fact, I would even go as far as to say when you're in the valley, you need even more so to trust him and worship him and, and purpose in your heart to live for him. We cannot just adore the God on the mountain. We have to adore him when we're in the valley too because David is very clear here that he is with us 
at that time. And I'm gonna say it until I cannot say it anymore. We can trust him. You can trust our God. Not to do everything you want him to do necessarily, but you can trust him that in everything that it is going to be for your good and for his glory. Everything. He promises us that. Romans 8, 28. He works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. All things. Nothing is not included in all. But we have to be resigned to allow him to work and do what he wants to do, not just what we want him to do. And if we are trusting ourselves, we cannot have the strength of God we want in our life because they cannot coexist. That's very clearly why John the Baptist said, I must decrease, he must increase. I mean, think about that. Why didn't John the Baptist say, hey, I wanna increase and God can increase? I mean, the two of us together, what a pair. He didn't say that. He said, basically, the only way for God to increase in my life is if I decrease. God won't compete with you. He won't do it. As long as you're gonna be about you and your own strength and your own trusting yourself and your own abilities and taking credit for it, God will stay on the sidelines. He will. I know that, does, that messes up with some people's theology, but I'm telling you, that's the, that's the truth. He does not compete with us. Now, could he? Yes, he could push it out in a heartbeat. That's not what he does. He gives us a will. He wants us to make a conscious decision to do it in a love relationship with him that we would trust him. God wants us to trust him just as much as we want to trust him. That's his, that's his goal for all of us. Let me share one more verse. Jeremiah 17, 5. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on his flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. So that's a powerful, powerful statement that God made through Jeremiah. The translation into English on this isn't worded great because it, it says that cursed is the one who depends on his flesh for his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. A better way to say it would be cursed is the one who depends on their flesh for their strength because their heart will turn away from the Lord. Because it is not possible to trust in your own flesh and still have a heart for God. You can't do it. It will turn your heart. That's why you're cursed. That's why we are away from God when we do that. Now, our God is full of grace and mercy, and I'm thankful we are in the new covenant. Praise God. He doesn't just wipe us out or judge us when we when we rely on our own strength, because we're all guilty of that probably on a daily basis. But it's important that when, when God reveals it to us, that we are quick to respond, that we are quick to repent, that we are quick to reset our hearts and our minds because we're only hurting ourselves when we're relying on our own strength. I don't want my heart to turn away from God. And I know when I am focused on myself, my heart does start to turn away. You can feel it. And it's so subtle and slow. It's a slow erosion to the point that we don't even notice it sometimes until we're way over here and realizing, oh my goodness, I've completely rejected God in my life and trusting him. But praise God for his grace because it's just a matter of coming back to him. He always receives us with open arms and welcomes us back because that's who he is, amen? Praise God. Would you stand with me, please? I wanna pray for us this morning or this afternoon now. And I want to invite you, if you want to come to the altar and pray, you're welcome to do that. I encourage it. I'm going to pray for all of us because I believe it's important for us to respond in some way, just to respond with your heart to the word of God, that we would draw from his strength in our life. And where we've been 
relying on our own strength, church. Even during these next moments here, just repent. Repentance should be a way of life for us. That when God reveals things to our heart, that we are quick to respond to that. And we know that he's faithful. He's faithful in our life, but he's also faithful to forgive and to cleanse us. So we thank God for that today. So let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we love you today. We thank you for your word. Your word really is life. It is what transforms us. God, we throw ourselves at your mercy. Lord, we know that none of us will ever be enough to measure up. Lord, we don't come today. I didn't bring this word today to make us feel bad about all of our shortcomings and all of our sin. But God, at the same time, we need to be reminded of it. We know that. But Lord, we're so thankful. We are so thankful that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That you're not here to condemn. You're here to draw us closer to you, to make us more like you. And Lord, where we have drawn on our own strength, where we have trusted in our own strength, we have not been willing to be weak or rejoicing in our weaknesses, but we've spent our, the bulk of our life trying to hide our weaknesses, God. Would you forgive us? God, we wanna rejoice in those weaknesses we, because we know that that is where Christ's power rests. Lord, we desperately need your power in our life. We want your power in a special way. God, not for our own good, just for our own good, but for your glory. We want to be vessels of your glory. That your kingdom would come here on this earth. Lord, I pray you'd help us to draw from your strength. If it's to escape a situation, a relationship, maybe a work situation, whatever it is, God, that you would give us an escape. Father, help us to, to see that it is an act of strength in certain times. And Lord, as we wait, God, we want to be strong in the waiting. We want to trust you in the waiting. And Lord, we need strength to be content. God, would you bring rest and peace in our lives as we trust you, Lord. God, I pray for a revelation for us to be able to trust you in a way that we could never do on our own. That you would give us that peace that surpasses understanding, God. We have to have a revelation of you to even be able to do that. So Lord, would you reveal it to each one of us in our hearts today? We thank you, Jesus. We thank you. You are so, so good. We love you. We bless you. It is all for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Can we praise God one more time? That's a hand clap offering to him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. What a wonderful, wonderful God. We